everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 79 of the show, Whoa. which is the year I was born, if you add like 1900 to it. Um, <laughs> and, and, and we are, this, this is a big episode, Mike. Yeah, it's one away from 80. It is one away is, from 80. Which is then 20 away from 100, at which point we retire, right? <laughs> Something like that. Or maybe yeah. we'll go on forever. Oh, dun, dun, dun. Or, or 150 or something. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that was a hint of possibilities around episode 100. Um, <clears throat> but we're finishing 1964 today. Yes, we are. December 1964. The year is over. It is all done in just about 60 to 90 minutes. We'll be done with this year. And and then I don't know what we're going to do. I guess, I guess we'll just go to the next one. That seems like the way to go. We could jump to like this year and then just go back and forth or something. Like, you know, there's a certain appeal to that. <laughs> <laughs> to like 2018 and then jump back to 1965 and then 2017 or something like that. And oh, we'll my make gosh, it work. oh my gosh. That would take so long. But it would actually uh, – <laughs> You okay, know what no. would bother me about that though is we're going backwards. We're going backwards on the present, which would be a weird way to read stuff. It would be a weird way to read stuff. We should actually just do December of 2018, then November of 2018. Uh, no, we shouldn't. We should do nothing like no. that because there's no, no reason to. No, there's no because because January 1965 is the best year. That that's and it's the most logical thing to do after December 1964. Because mm-hmm. you know when you were living in that time, you went to bed. You just woke up and it was 1965. Nothing, nothing. It was just the next day. You just got the next comics. I was, I was on Twitter and somebody posted like a new, a new story that has like a Spider-Man flashback to his youth in it or something like that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. boy, I'm glad I'm not those guys that do that whole chronological thing about Spider-Man because <laughs> now what are they going to do? We don't have to worry about that. We're just going to go by date. Right. Right. There will never be any more December 1964 after tonight. Nothing else is ever going to come out in the 1964. We're done with it. Mm-hmm. It's done. It's We're done. done. It's over. All right. Well, I guess we should go ahead and start on that 1964 stuff. You should, yeah. I should. Wait a second. Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we are picking up. We are finishing off the second week of releases, which is December 10th, 1964. And I have Strange Tales 130. Yeah. Now, um, with, before with lots of bad it, hair, <laughs> <laughs> bad Beatles wigs, and Baron Mordo needs to see a barber. Oy. The only person who has his hair together is Doctor Strange. Yeah, um, this is the most cover that Doctor Strange has ever gotten. Oh yeah, he which gets, is uh, he gets the big chunk of the split. He does get the big chunk of the split, and even the side that's dedicated to Thing and Torch, they're kind of small in that section. So this is definitely a Doctor Strange cover with them involved. Mm-hmm. Which is good because Doctor Strange's story is kind of important in this issue. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, f- before we get to Doctor Strange, though, we are going to talk about the Human Torch thing team up story, which is called "Meet the Beatles." As in, that's what they're going to do. We knocked ourselves out to make this one different. Hope you like it. The Bullpen Gang story by Swingin' Stan Lee, art by Bouncin' Bob Powell. Inking by Chucklin' Chick Stone and lettering by Sizzlin' Sam Rosen. All right, so Thing and Torch are roughhousing. Thing is supposed to be repairing a heavy piece of equipment. Reed and Sue have gone out for the night. They're going to the City Hall Conference or something. Um, Torch and Thing are so busy roughhousing, they don't actually repair the thing. They kind of damage it even more. Um, They're supposed to be going... No, no. They're... 
respective girlfriends, Alicia and Dory, are out and about, and they see, oh yeah, that's right, the Beatles are in town this week. I better go get tickets before they sell out for tonight. <laughs> um, we'll talk about that later. So they call up Thing and Johnny on the phone. Hey, you want to go see the Beatles? They're like, yeah, I want to go see the Beatles. I got that Beatles wig from from Yancey Street Gang a few issues back. Definitely going to use that. So they get in the cab. There's so much traffic trying to get to the Beatles concert. That Thing um, steps out of the cab, lifts the cab up over the traffic. They go to the side of the uh, studio where they're performing. Thing lifts the cab up to the studio entrance, which is on a uh, fire escape. And everyone disembarks and goes inside the building. They actually pass the Beatles and everyone gets overclept so much so that the Beatles don't even, don't even speak. They just walk by. We only assume it's the Beatles because they don't identify themselves. They just have the black hair and they all kind of look a little similar and they have purple suits. Um, so there is news of a robbery. So Thing and Torch decide to go and stop the robbers and come back for the concert. But they are so busy dealing with the robbers, like Torch gets soaked and, thing i don't know has to chase them on a roller coaster and there's some other stuff going on that they spend so much time catching the robbers that by the time they get back to the concert and thing has his beetle wig and torch has tickets they're all ready to go they get inside just in time for the audience to come out wow what a show and their their girls are like hey y'all y'all got here just take it take us home um um they they uh they're done and so johnny and thing are like man all that all that effort to see the Beatles and we missed the whole concert. And Dory's like, maybe someday I'll understand why anyone would want to be a superhero. So just when they I was sick of Tales to Astonish, they did this really awesome Tales to Astonish story. Mm-hmm. And then just when I was sick, sick of Strange Tales, they did a kind of okay Strange Tales story. <laughs> it was actually kind of okay, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was okay. I'm not saying it was amazing, but I sort of like that, like, I feel like they changed directions a little bit and they're just kind of like, you know what, let's just do, like, Human Torch and Thing in, like, an Archie book or something. We don't even have to care. We don't have to care about supervillains or anything anymore. This is just hijinks and sort of kid stuff. And do you know what that pretty good Tales to Astonish story and pretty okay Strange Tales story have in common? What's that? Artist Bob Powell. Mm, Oh, yeah, there's that, too. Yeah, he, uh, he is on the book now. And we were really kind of impressed with his giant man treatments last episode, um, or two episodes ago, I guess, at this point. And yeah, so he is... Um, so if we assume that Bob Powell is doing more of the writing than Swing and Stan Lee, because that's what we always assume about these artists, do we think that maybe he just understands what these books need to be and is kind of pushing that direction? Maybe. 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 Um, but yeah, this is... Um, it was fun. And... and the opening of the story felt like a Fantastic Four opening because you had all four of them on the cover and Reed and mm-hmm. Sue were there to yell at the two boys before they ran out. Mm-hmm. And Johnny and Ben were messing with each other while Ben's trying to do work for Reed inside the lab, which is very Fantastic Four. That's pretty it cool. Is. And Bob, I mean, his style isn't so obvious in The Giant Man because uh, Don Heck was inking him and it looked a lot more Don Heck to me. But th- in this, it looks very like kind of comical – Artwork, which works well with, you know, the comical shenanigans that are going on with this machine and them breaking it and fighting with each other. Yeah, Thing is is more of a cartoon version of the Thing. Mm-hmm. So and that was his, cool. his facial expressions are, are very, very amusing. Yeah. 
Um, historical note, the Beatles did play in New York City three times around this time, twice at the end of August and once more at the end of September. So when this comic was being done, they're performing in New York. This definitely could be intended to have coincided with an actual performance. So this Beatles thing is kind of like, I don't know, like it didn't really pay off or anything. It's just no. like, let's put the Beatles, the word Beatles on the cover and then they don't even talk. I don't know if they're even allowed to legally talk in this book or or what. They didn't even really kind of look like the Beatles. And it's just sort of kind of funny that they're just sort of shoehorned into this idea. But yeah, they're never named by name. They're just the Beatles. There's no John, Paul, George and Ringo. No. Um, and they don't speak. And I think, yeah, those might be legal legal ramifications if they use their actual names or if they um, spoke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In conjunction with an appearance. I mean, you can mention the Beatles by name in passing, but. Yeah. But, you know, if you're a huge Beatles fan, you have to buy this issue. So, neener, right. neener. And, I mean, 10 bucks says that putting the Beatles on the cover was definitely an effort to get some sales. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I got to say, I do like the throwback to uh, where thing got the wig in the first place that was kind of cool yeah a little continuity but um same day tickets for the beatles yeah that seemed a little odd i wonder if they're throwing around their fantastic four weight to get tickets or something i would i was thinking it was proof this is fiction also well i guess alicia would enjoy the beatles seeing as you can hear them but yes yes. still that's one of those like hey matt let's go to the wax museum kind of things hey matt and alicia should hang out i never thought of that because they're both blind. <laughs> yeah, why not? Be interesting. Have they ever? Interesting. The two blind uh, people in the Marvel Universe? Um, I was thinking that the two women walking around and talking um, about getting tickets for a concert probably means that this story passes the Bechdel test. Which is what? So the Bechdel test is like a really super low bar for a fiction story. <laughs> okay. To show that women are involved in any sort of way beyond romantic interests. So the requirements for the Bechdel test is two women must have a conversation. Well, there's that. You'd be surprised at how little that happens. Two women have a conversation and not about a man. Interesting. Well, they are talking about the Beatles, which are men. I but thought about that, but I thought more you know, like maybe an entity. Yeah. yeah, it's more like an entity. They're going to a concert, and the and the, the person they're seeing to perform have it's not like a social construct, a social male relationship thing. So okay. it takes them three panels to mention the boys, so that's kind of good, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I figure this might might be the first Marvel superhero story to do that to, to either pass the Bechdel test or come anywhere close to it. Wow, really? We should have been paying attention, but you know. I'm just I can't thinking. Even think of two women talking, right? Like Sue other than like and Gideon's wife. Yeah, I was Sue just going to say Alicia, maybe Sue. Sue chastising Gideon's wife, or Sue and Alicia. Hmm. Wow, that's really crazy. I mean, I, th- I can think of an issue twenty-five of Spider-Man where Betty and Liz talk to each other, but Peter is definitely you know the subject of the conversation. Yeah, that one. So far, that hasn't happened. They've just talked between. Yeah, or, you know, with Peter in between them, essentially translating. Right. Um, oh yeah, the whole like, are you putting on weight or something like that? Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. But that's all about Peter, so that doesn't count anyway. So yeah, yeah. Wow. Superhero comics are very male dominated, and women, if they exist, almost never mm-hmm. talk to other women. 
That's probably true of movies and books and everything else going on right mm-hmm. now too mm-hmm. in 1964, if not today. Sometimes yeah. I think about that now. Like I watch movies and go like, wow, she her whole point of existence was to be his love interest basically. Right. But Which is why consciously making efforts to avoid these tropes and to increase the number of women and increase the conversations is actually a good thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know. Yeah. I thought it was funny that the Beatles didn't talk. I know they can't talk, but still they run into all these people in the stairwell and they don't say anything. They just walk by, give the little Beatles smiles. They sure are walking around an awful lot for being the most famous people in the world. But Yeah. Yeah. That's just fun, I guess. Um, and yeah, I like that the villain, like – had no – well, I guess they almost did kill Human Torch sort of, but like they're not a real threat. They're just like these three bonkers guys who robbed the liquor store or whatever. Rob the robbed the robbed the, robbed the uh, concession stand or till or whatever it was. And so, yeah, that kind of goes along with the whole feeling of this story just being like fun Archie shenanigans because I at no, no point did I think the thing or Human Torch were in danger really. It's just like fun. Historical note, on page 10, Johnny Storm – they they define a dry cell battery for the reader. And I was Ener- just like, is that the energizer? Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that really that rare a thing in 1964? I don't know, but just calling it an energizer seems weird to me. It does. And it says a complex of dry cells storing thousands of volts of energy to activate various electrical devices. It seems like a multi-purpose large cell battery. Um and I mean, I did some looking and commercial privately purchased batteries. They were a thing in the fifties, but maybe this is a, I don't know. I do think it's kind of odd that Johnny can like basically just electrocute himself and give himself a jump start. Like, I feel like that should just kill him somehow, but yeah, my note on that was don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Like how did he know that wouldn't just like stop his heart instead of heat his skin or whatever he's trying to accomplish? Right. Because he's wet. Gracious. He's all wet, he, so he decides the energizer is the best way to dry off fast is by electrocuting himself. Wow. Yeah. It's a good thing he's alive now. Good thing he's alive now. And really, I thought at the end that Dory was not wrong. Um, I'm sure several of our main characters would agree. Why would somebody want to be a superhero? Um, it did kind of ruin their day today. But, you know, that, whatever. That the bad guys where the, stopped. Where everybody comes out of the... The theater and the doors open and smack them both in the face is actually a hilarious panel. That's pretty great. It looks like it's cartoon. Yeah, totally. That's what I want. I want more of that until this is over, which is in five issues, four issues. Um, This was the fifth from the end. So four more. Four more. We're counting. Shall we move along? Let's move on to the main event, apparently, because he's the star of the cover. Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, beginning now, the start of the greatest black magic spectacular ever presented, the defeat of Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is, of course, portrayed in the Marvel Cinematic Universe by Sugar Pie Honey Bunch. And we so, have this- So, so sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but have you seen the trailer for uh, Between Two Ferns? Because I thought of you. No. Well, watch it, because he interviews Benedict Cumberpatch and screws up his name three times, so you should write wow. this down. <laughs> okay, okay. This is written by the Nabob of the Netherworld, Stan Lee. Um, we need to talk about that. The um, Nabob? Yes. Okay. I looked it up, and it's been a little while since I looked it up, so I could be slightly off, but Nabob is somebody who basically makes their money off of interests in colonized countries. Isn't that what the lyric is in Aladdin, you big Nabob, or something like that? Or, or am I wrong about that? It might you- be it, yeah. 
actually, yeah, yeah, you I just big neighbor. Yeah. Wow. But that kind of applies because that was all about sultans and right, you know, being rich and stuff. So, illustrated by the Sultan of the Supernatural, Steve Ditko, lettered by the Overlord of the Occult, Artie Simic, and we open with Baron Mordo talking to a portal, making a degree to have power without limit, so that he may destroy Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is chillaxing in Tibet with the Ancient One, and uh, he's like, yo, you have learned my stuff pretty great. And three henchmen of Baron Mordo come, and they have been increased in power by Baron Mordo, and they attack the Ancient One, and the Ancient One's putting up his shields, but the shields aren't resisting, and Doctor Strange is there, and the three bad guys basically fight Doctor Strange away, and Doctor Strange is like, I've got to get away, I've got to get through this door into safety, and he goes through this door, and it's like this really weird cave where, like, the ground doesn't connect to other ground. But he starts traveling, and the three bad guys are like, we gotta go get him, so I'm gonna send my ectoplasmic form after Doctor Strange, and he does. He goes through the mountains, sees Doctor Strange flying away in his cape. Doctor Strange has the Ancient One with him. He didn't just, you know, leave him behind. He's carrying the Ancient One, and he figures this is Baron Mordo chasing him, um, and they're blasting at Doctor Strange, and we find out the person who gave Doctor uh, gave Baron Mordo his power is Dormammu. Mordo and Dormammu have joined forces. Um, one of the three bad guys, who I guess was Baron Mordo, he was just dressed up in a in the same henchman outfit that all of those other henchmen wear. So I thought it was a henchman. Um, he goes back and reports to Dormammu that Doctor Strange got away on a trick. But we're searching for him. He will not be able to rest or stop. And he sends all of his ectoplasmic forms. For, no, Dormammu sends all these ectoplasmic forms of all these demons out to track down Doctor Strange. So now Doctor Strange is on the run. He turns over the Ancient One to a friend to help him heal and recover from the attack. And he takes a dummy in his robes and flies away so people can continue to follow him. Um so Baron Mordo is on the lookout for Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange goes and stays with somebody he can trust, somebody named Sen Yu, who's a friend of the Ancient One. Um, he just kind of hangs out there and rests. He's like, oh no, I've been discovered. I'm being chased. I've got to go into hiding. I'm going to put my Doctor Strange clothes and my Doctor Strange cloak in this suitcase. I'm going to wear regular clothes and walk around. And um, they find him almost immediately. So he duplicates himself and duplicates himself and duplicates himself. And all of his duplicates go out there and um, distract all the various bad guys. But um, one bad guy goes after Doctor Strange. So he magics him into a, a um, paralysis cell and flies away. And Mordo and Dormammu vow that Doctor Strange must be destroyed. And Doctor Strange is on the run to be continued next issue. Fun. Right? That was a good one. Yeah. That is a solid start to the story. Mm-hmm. This is our second to be continued, but it's, this is probably a more interesting one. I yeah. like this. It's really, it's really left on a on a high note of threat, which is fun. Um, Mordo and Dormammu, are, of course, are his top bad guys. Uh-huh. The idea that they are joining together is pretty, pretty great. I like that Dormammu's involvement was a mystery at the beginning, but then uh-huh. it, you know you do find out eventually this chapter that it's him. And that it's also because he's trying to work around the agreement he gave to Doctor Strange that he wouldn't interfere or he wouldn't personally invade Earth. So- yeah, that's an interesting little note of continuity. They're actually, you know, paying nod to the fact that Dormammu has promised not to attack humans. Mm-hmm. So he'll so he's just helping give, humans. He'll humans. just give one of those humans a, a lot of power to attack for him. Right, right. And then Doctor Strange will die, and then his oath is broken, and he can attack Earth. 
I don't know if Mar if Mardo uh, would care about that or not. Does he talk about that at all? Maybe he doesn't know that part. Maybe he doesn't, but he he fancies himself as being more powerful than Doctor Strange. With Dormammu's help, he is more powerful than Doctor Strange. And mm-hmm. defeating Doctor Strange has been his only mission since he first appeared in whatever, 111? Because he wants to kill the Ancient One or take yeah. the Ancient One's power. Right. Through death, I guess. I don't know. I guess. Well, Doctor Strange has been protecting the Ancient One from Mordo ever since training. Mm-hmm. That's what so, got him involved in the whole master- mystic thing in the first place. Exactly. Um, it seems like the Ancient One is becoming more and more of a liability in these last times, few times we've seen him. Right. Like he's becoming a little too ancient. I was wondering if they really should be able to attack him as easily as they did, but they're, you know, they're powered up from Dormammu. Mm-hmm. I guess that makes sense. But well, and he couldn't br- he, he couldn't handle uh, Dormammu the last time either. So not no, why- he he gave it over to Doctor Strange. Yeah. So his ancientness is interfering with his eff- efficac- efficacy. At some point, I assume he passes on the mantle, but I don't know how long down the road that is. It seems like he's becoming more and more worthless, though. Yeah. <laughs> Page three, panel one. <clears throat> Doctor Strange says, "There's more to this than meets the eye." And I'm like, is he trying to advertise my upcoming Transformers podcast? I totally think that's what he's doing. I yeah. think that's what he's doing, yep. I'm sure he has future spell, future casting spells and stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's where the white hair comes the, from. He listens to all the future podcasts. That's where he gets his spells. You remember that scene in uh, Infinity War where he's like sitting cross-legged and his face and his body's going all crazy and jittery and everybody thinks he's like looking at all the futures. He's really just listening to a bunch of podcasts. Well, he goes to all the different futures and hears the podcasts in those mm-hmm. futures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, th- I really thought, page four, I really thought that we had a rule that ectoplasmic forms could only affect other ectoplasmic forms. Well, I'm not sure if we did or not. It sounds right. It sounds good. But we could also say Dormammu has upped the ante and made okay. that rule obsolete or something because he's super powerful. I don't know. He is super powerful. His ectoplasm is is enough to slime you now. Uh-huh. Um, before we find the Dormammu unveiling, he's, it says he's from a dark, dismal dimension. And Dormammu is the dark dimension. So that, that was a nice little hint of what was going to happen on the on the page turn. His chair is pretty awesome. I don't he know if he had that really chair cool last time. But – it reminds me of that entity will someday get to eternity, remember? Yes. Who has like, you can see all the planets and stars in his black body. Like, that looks like an eternity chair. That does look like an eternity chair. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, page seven, he says, uh, that Dr. Strange has to be found. You're commanded to report to me if you see him. He like contacts all the practitioners of black magic throughout the world. And I'm wondering, is this like, Sandu the Sorcerer and Vo- Brother Voodoo and Madred the Mystic are all of these guys getting called? That would be really cool if, like, later on there were some story that flashed back to this and actually included those people. That would be interesting. If there was some I way don't... to make that, like, significant to a, a later story, that would be mm-hmm. cool. I like the Senyu guy. I don't really know if we'll ever get more of him, but anytime. Oh, yeah, he, uh, he becomes a very important part of the Ancient One. Uh, oh, good. And by that, I mean he never appears again. Oh, you tricked me. <laughs> I was like, dang. Because he, I don't know, he's a little woo-like, I guess, but. Yeah, a little, yeah, a little Wong-like. But, I mean, Wong-like, yeah, sorry. Um, I liked all this stuff, though, where he goes in the civilian outfit and tries to hide and gets attacked and tries to keep it low-key and, and you know, just uses a little bit of magic to get away and stuff. That was all fun and cinematogra- cinematic. 
I like the fact that he's still wearing his cloak, even though it's folded up, it's under his jacket, so mm-hmm. it's still on his person and he can still float. That's pretty clever. It almost looks like he somehow turns his outfit into the suit because it's the same colors. Like even the yellow scarf could be like his amulet in an illusion or something like that, you know? Because his, oh, his amulet's yellow and his cloak is hidden underneath this blue fabric and the suit is blue and mm-hmm. I don't know. It may just be a suit, but yeah. Senyu says I buy I bought you all this, this, these clothes, and he's like, "Oh, they're cool yeah. clothes." Yeah, but that's right. that would be a neat idea if he either folded his clothes inside or just magicked his blue suit slightly to change its form. It's like Senyu's like, "I just bought you all these clothes, but I kept the color scheme." Right. I know. I know your uh, your aesthetic. That, that way, they, that way, when they're looking for Doctor Strange, they see that same blue, yellow, and red thing going on <laughs> with the mustache. I hey. feel like I've seen that duplicating scene before. Does um, something like that happen in the movie? In Infinity War, it does. When he fights Thanos, he duplicates himself. Okay. Okay, that's that's what I thought. It's a little more cinematic when he does it there, but it's still cool. I like that it happened here. Like, apparently that's just a thing he probably does all the time. I don't know. I don't read a lot of Doctor Strange, but it seems like a cool move. And Loki it was a also, cool move. Loki also did it to Thor multiple in the first Thor movie. So it's like a magic thing. Uh, yeah. You know what I just noticed? He doesn't have a goatee. He's not a goatee bro yet. He's just a mustache guy. He is just a mustache guy. So, Does he become goatee bro later? I guess so. Like, we were talking about how, like, he finally looks like Doctor Strange with the red cape and all that, but we are still missing the facial hair. Correct. Being he correct. had He had some beardage back when he was more exotic looking. Okay. Part so of they the got things rid of that it. made him look unusual was some really interestingly, you know... Hmm. Cut beardness. So that's so that's, now he's just down to a mustache. Like yeah, yeah. But isn't Tony just have a mustache too? Now I ask these questions out loud, like we have to know the answer real fast. But I don't know the answer. Yeah, he, he does. does. Tony's, he just Tony has a mustache Stark and Doctor Strange look very similar. They just have mustaches. No goatees yet. Of course, neither has either in the movies. What a goatee? Does uh, Tony Stark? Ha- I guess he does in the later movies. I yeah, guess he in does. the early movies too. Yeah, Tony Stark has a goatee. What am I talking yeah, about? They both do. Yeah, yeah, what am I? I don't know. Well, yeah, Doctor Strange started out clean shaven, and then he grew a big old beard, and then he, he cut it back. He did to grow it. I was thinking of the clean shaven Benedict. I don't even know why I'm talking. Obviously, I know what, <laughs> what I'm talking about, like um, Sherlock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So Dormammu is demanding that there's no more failure from Mordo, even though this is called the defeat of Doctor Strange. It was not a solid defeat. They definitely messed up. He's pretty low, though. Like this is the worst he's ever been. Like he's on the run, mm-hmm. and he can't overpower. Um, these people and the ancient one is hiding and dying or whatever. And yeah, not a good time to be Doctor Strange. We'll see how he gets out of it. In- so now Steve Ditko is doing two um, serial storytelling adventures. He's got the Hulk going on and mm-hmm. he's got this going on. Um, but instead of an uh, open-ended story that we have no idea when it's going to wrap up, this story very famously goes right up to the end of Ditko's run on the character. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's kind of looked back at fondly by Doctor Strange fans as a single saga. Okay. So, um, and spoilers, Dicko only has two more issues on the Hulk. So that mm. that run may may come to a narrative end soon and start something else. Well, I haven't been enjoying the way they split up the Hulk. So we'll see if they do, if he does better with Doctor Strange for me. But so yeah. far, I'm enjoying it. I like the first part. Shall we dive into something more fantastic? So, sooner or later, someone was bound to come up with an evil group like this. So, we thought we'd beat them to it. 
The Attack of the Evil FF, The Frightful Four. Dun, dun, Fantas- dun. Fantastic Four, number 36. A lot of purple. A lot of purple. Um, it's called The Frightful Four and proudly produced by Smiling Stan Lee and Jolly Jack Kirby, inked by Schick Stone and lettered by Artie Simek. And you know how last time we talked about um, The Fantastic Four? I at least – I'm not sure if you were or not, but I was kind of on the fence as to whether the proposal was actually a proposal or a talk about a proposal, like proposing a proposal. Right. Um, apparently, it was a proposal because – the splash page is them announcing their engagement and all the reporters in the world are like taking pictures of them because the Fantastic Four are Marvel's first family and the most popular superhero team in the world in 1964. Reed is, Reed is just really bad at proposing. He is really bad at proposing because he never actually asked her and she never actually said yes, but that was the proposal. So, all right, here we go. Um Anyway, like I said, they're all being bombarded with uh, reporters, kind of happily so. I guess they're probably doing a press release announcement thing. At some point, some guy in a green outfit delivers a box to uh, uh, them in the guise of a wedding or an engagement present. But it turns out to be a bomb from the Yancey Street Gang and it blows up. But it just – flowers come out and thing gets all mad and – Anyway, cuts to the <sighs> – Pastepot Pete, I was going to try and say his other name, but he's still Pastepot Pete right now. And he meets up with the Sandman and they do the usual like Marvel fight. I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you thing. But then the wizard flies down and says, but I'm the best of you both. Let's flash back to how you both rescued me. So I bet, I guess Pastepot Pete and uh, 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 Sandman escaped the pen at the same time together. And as they were doing that, they saw the shenanigans that happened in Strange Tales number 118, according to this caption, which was that the wizard was stuck in his own ship, I think, and was like going to – His anti-grav disc. His anti-grav disc. That's what it was. His anti-grav disc was put on him and he couldn't turn it off and it was going to float him to the sun. And we all just assumed the wizard was dead, right? What's the big deal? No problem. But he wasn't dead because they saw him floating – they steal a plane with Pace Pots Beats Spider-Man gun. They steal a plane and fly over to him and pull him in and take the gravity thing off. And he's like, oh, God, thank you. You saved my life. I'm going to lead you now as, you know, payment to this debt. Believe me, I'm so awesome. This is a great payment for you. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, because we don't like money. Sure, you can lead us. He's like, but you know what? We should take on the Fantastic Four. Um, so we need four people. And they're like, well, who else do you know? And he's like, well, I remember this one time I went to this one place and there was this lady in a cave and people were trying to kill her and she came out and her hair pushed people around. So I'm going to recruit her. And they're like, okay, sounds fishy, but sure. Anyway, cut back to the Fantastic Four and they're having an engagement party. Johnny's in charge of the lights and stuff. Um, they're getting it all set up. While they're doing that, the new Frightful Three is in a like apartment across the way, putting on their cool new purple outfits. Even the Sandman changed his color from green to purple. And they're introduced to Medusa, who was the lady in the cave. And everybody's happy. Um, they decide to wait till the party gets started. The party does get started. There's the X-Men. There's the Avengers. There's Professor X, who's not an X-Men. Wink, wink. But he's there, and they're going to walk him home. Wink, wink. There's Spider-Man, but nobody knows it. He's just there to steal some cake. Um, but for you Spider-Man completists out there, got to get this issue. Yep. Um, anyway, so they attack after the party's over. Actually, they don't attack. They kind of ninja their way in and – 
The first one they take out is the thing because he's sleeping. So Medusa like uses her hair to turn the light off and then Pace Pop Pete, you know, pastes him up. And then, you know, uh, 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 then they go after Invisible Woman and Mr. Fantastic. There's some punching and shenanigans, but ultimately Pace Pop Pete manages to stick all of them down. Invisible Woman does a much better job. She takes on Sandman all by herself and she's going to win really except Medusa's hanging outside the window and they don't know her and they don't know that she's there. So she gets attacked from behind and they take Invisible Woman out and they spray her and they paste everybody and then they're going to put the discs on them and then they push them outside uh, to go fly into the sun and die. And they're like high-fiving themselves like, yay, the Frightful Four beat the Fantastic Four. But little do they know that since this was a party, someone's girlfriend is still lingering around in the kitchen, Alicia. And she hears all this commotion and she's like, oh, gosh, I don't know what to do. But she crawls her way over and kind of like feels around and finds uh, Invisible One unconscious. And she takes the flare gun and she points it out the window and says, I hope I'm doing this right. And she shoots the flare because Johnny's not there because the the Frightful Four actually only beat the Fantastic Three. So Johnny's hanging out with his friends playing Hot Rod. He sees the signal. Um, He flies over, not quite in time for, uh, um, you know, the thinker to – the wizard, I'm sorry, to – you know, throw them all into the air. So they're all floating away to die. But Johnny shows up. He attacks all four of them, kind of kicks their butt because they just don't see him coming. And he's pretty awesome when he wants to be. He grabs the wizard and takes him into his ship and then like pretty much torches him with flame until he agrees to go get his friends. So they're all about to die in space. Um, um, but then Johnny shows up and Reed stretches over there and they pulls them all in and they're all safe. But lo and behold, the other three that were left behind steal or commandeer the Fantastic Four jet to go after the wizard and torch. So now there's like this space battle, uh, <laughs> which basically amounts to the Sandman going out into space and trying to fight them and realizing that he still needs oxygen. Um, they all start to crash. Invisible Woman uses her awesome shield to stop them all from crashing. Um, They all jump out. They kind of get into a fight. Um, This is where it gets a little weird. But off panel, I guess, the wizard and Sandman set the ship to detonate. I'm not even sure which ship, if it's the Fantastic Four ship or their own ship. But anyway, there's an explosion and then like goes black and and the Fantastic Four wake up and the Frightful Four are gone and they kind of scratch their their chins and um, um, thing says, boy, those guys were almost as bad as the Yancey Street Gang. The end. Yancey Street Gang jokes. Yeah. Well, this was fun. Yeah, other than a little bit of weirdness at the end, like you said, this is a really, really fun story. So I was like realizing about my this about myself is I have, of course, heard of the Frightful Four, and I knew the wizard is the Frightful Four leader, but I guess I never thought about who the other three were. Because I was kind of shocked that Sandman and Pace Pot Pete had anything to do with this group. Yeah, and here's the thing. I like the Frightful Four. Mm-hmm. I think they're a cool team in these Silver Age stories. And sure. And this is a solid comic book. Mm-hmm. But three Strange Tales villains <laughs> team up. With the Spider-Man with, villain. With, well, well, no. Sandman's a Strange Tales villain, too. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Medusa's the only newbie. Mm-hmm. So who's who was sitting there saying, I'm going to go get three people from Strange Tales and have them be a viable Fantastic Four villain group? 
Well, I was thinking in story, like, why is the wizard, like, who can't even beat the Human Torch ever, deciding that he should take on the whole Fantastic Four now? Right. Yeah, that's a little uppity, but... And it's a little funny that, like, after they beat the Fantastic Four, who's the one person they haven't beat yet? The Human Torch, who kicks the all their butts. The freaking Human Torch, their one nemesis. <laughs> right. So, like, um, there's this whole thing about the wizard hating Reed and fancying himself a nemesis for Reed. And I remember one particular issue where they, like, make fun of him, like, you were always a joke to Reed. But, yeah. But, like, he's a torch bad guy. He is a torch. In fact, wasn't there an issue where the Reed was just like, yeah, we can't help you with this wizard guy? Or was that yeah. somebody else? I don't know. Like, he just doesn't even care about really the wizard. Um, but I assume the Frightful Four changes rosters at some point because I really don't think the Sandman was a member of the Frightful Four for very long, is he? Um, I, I think don't know. as far as like living in the 60s, it's a while. But uh-huh. according to Marvel, you know, looking at larger Marvel history, I don't think it's. And Medusa gets replaced really early on, yeah. too, because they do she, more with her. She ends up being a good guy-ish, sort of. Yeah, and I would. I did a little bit of research. I, I couldn't find anything with you know my Google foo, but I would love to know when and how and where Jack Kirby decided to turn this character into something else. Into if an inhuman, was, right? Yeah, to an inhuman. Yeah. Um, if that was something he was already thinking when he first made her. Or if that was something that, like, you know, he got the idea for later and decided to use her to be, you know, to, to feed into that. I just don't know. But I love, I love, like, the order of ideations when, when you're talking about, like, where story comics, where story ideas come from. What, what, what idea did you come up with first? Well, if I had to guess, I would say he had no thoughts of inhuman, of inhumans when he did this because her origin in this is just kind of, it just seems sort of slapped together, like, yeah. There, there's this real weird hair lady in a cave I came across once, you know? Like, we don't get a lot out of her. I don't know. And, and she doesn't talk before, much either. No, she doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it's a while before we get, like, um, an explanation of how this story, like, how she got to this point in her life. Mm-hmm. It's a very long time before they even decide to go there. Yeah. I, I love the beginning of this. I like... That in-universe, the Fantastic Four are so popular. Now, of course, in de- December 1964, they actually are so popular. But mm-hmm. at some point, they're not. But I think in-universe, they continue to be the Marvel First Family right. thing. Like, growing up a Cap fan, I used to love how popular he was in the Marvel Universe. But nobody knew who he was on my t-shirt, right? Now that's kind of backwards. But, uh, yeah, I like that they. I like that the Fantastic Four have this like open relationship with the public and reporters and people trying to copy their hair and their love life and they're in magazines and comics and that's just kind of cool. Yeah, and Reed and Sue celebrating their their engagement. This makes it into Marvels. Uh-huh. Um, this would have been a big deal in universe at the time, and um, they have like all the reporters leave and they're like snuggling there on the floor, and Johnny and Ben leave, and I'm like, okay, then they have sex. Mm-hmm. You would hope. Um, okay, I so think- we get some recap about uh, Pace Pot Pete and, and and Sandman and Wizard and where they came from. So I was thinking about this. You know uh, how I love timelines, right? How to have all of this together. <laughs> right. All right. So the last time we saw Pace Pot Pete was the first time he had this new outfit. Right. So when he figured out his new look. The mm-hmm. first thing he did was go plant an extra copy of his pace gun and wearable pace pouch outside the prison just in case. 
Pretty smart since he gets arrested a lot. Right, right. So, yeah, yeah, good move, Pete. Um, But the Sandman has just fought Spider-Man in issue 19. So this flashback is after that, which was three months ago. Pace Pot Pete last fought Torch in Strange Tales 124. That was six months ago. So Mm -hmm. somewhere between six months ago and three months ago, he was in prison. After three months ago, they get bust out. And now they run into the wizard. The wizard was in 118, (laughs) which was a year of comics ago. He has been floating in the sky ever since a year of comics ago. Evidently not long enough to die of starvation. No, you just catch raw birds and eat them. Right. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and drink the rain when it comes down. Try not to drown. <laughs> yeah, I guess it doesn't float you to space, but... Yeah, yeah. So it's important to know that it is a nearly dead, half-starved wizard who hasn't talked to another human in a month. His first thought is, let's form a group and I get to lead it. Well, that's the wizard for you. That is the wizard for you. He sure doesn't look like the wizard like he used to look either. I'm still annoyed with that. Like, they've made him more handsome than he used to be. He's a little bit suave, actually. He used to be that weird face that I think it was Kirby put on him. Yeah, yeah, it was Kirby. It was one of Kirby's really cool faces because he doesn't do very many cool faces anymore. No. So I think it's kind of cool that they all have the same scheme. They don't have the same uniform like the Fantastic Four, but they are trying to be color-coded. But I also think it's interesting that that the Sandman starts it, and his clothes are his body. So does that mean he can just change his color whenever he wants to and doesn't? But he come, He starts out purple here. He, even escaping prison, he's purple. And he's the first guy to wear the purple. Which means they're all dressing to match him. They're all dressing to match him because Pacepot Pete gets a new outfit, and Wizard gets a new outfit. Of course, Medusa gets a new outfit. Anyway. Sandman just decided he liked Fuchsia today. I guess he and just decided. Just like, you know, yeah. yeah. Fuchsia's pretty cool. I like Fuchsia too. Fuchsia's cool. But I'll go back to green once I leave this team. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. The Medusa thing I already complained about, but that did seem like really sort of just – and who do we get for a fourth? Let's just randomly talk about this cave girl. Like, who is she? I don't know. And, like, I can't tell if it's sexist because, oh, we got to have a girl on the team because there's a girl on that team. Or if it's coming, it's like we have to make sure to include a woman on this team because we can't be just a bunch of dudes running around. Like, uh, I can't decide. It's just It's just a little tropey. Considering what little they give her in dialogue or backstory, mm. I'm going for the former. Yeah, probably. They both have female, so let's have three men and a woman, just like they do. He calls himself the wingless wizard. For the record, he was wingless before this. <laughs> I kind of like that. The winglessness like, is not what has changed. He finally has an outfit, because this is what, what you think of when someone says the wizard, is the guy with the... Weird, with the helmet, huge, right? huge giant helmet. But I never realized that he stores his discs in that big noggin, which is kind of funny to me. It was amusing. That's why they're so, so, so that's big. Why, like that's why it's so there. big. I guess I never knew that before. I thought he was just trying to look like he had a big brain or something. I'm sure it's a side effect, you know, mm-hmm. double double entendre. Right. Um, I, I like the party. I really like the party. Uh, I like uh, Thor's congratulations. Let me see. This is page. Is it page eight that the party's on? Yep. Seven, eight, yeah. So Thor says, there are times even when an immortal may envy a human Richards. This is one such time. Because, like, Thor wants to get married, too. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about it in that context. That's pretty awesome. And Rick is just standing there mooning over Bruce Banner because he recently got a pardon from the president for him. He's like, if only he could be here. So it's interesting that Professor X got an invite and the X-Men got an invite, but they're not supposed to know they're associated. 
Right. So Professor X got the invite. Why? This appears to be an all heroes party. Like, let's invite all the costumed heroes. What does Professor Xavier have to do with any costumed hero? Exactly. So is he just, I don't know what the world perceives Professor X as being. Is he just a headmaster of a school or is he more important than that? Or I don't know. Is he there? Is he there because Reed respects his intelligence? Later, he becomes an ex- expert on mutants, mm-hmm. but I don't know that that's a thing yet. It can't be if they're acting like they don't have any association. Right. I don't know. I do know, however, that that cake is going to be so tasty with the webbing all over it. Okay, Spotty. I mean, that was a cute little cameo, but they shouldn't have put the thought balloon that he's like, oh, there's a ship coming. I better leave. It's like, wow, that was nice of you. You see a ship about to, like, attack the Fantastic Four building, so you just bail with a piece of cake? Yeah. I'm going to go eat my cake. Yeah. Maybe he didn't assume it was a bad ship. I don't know. I do have to wonder if this is the tiniest Spider-Man cameo ever. It's pretty tiny. Just a right hand. Or even if it's not physically the tiniest, like, because it doesn't have just, like, Spider-Man in a crowd. Uh The tiniest where he actually has a line. It's pretty tiny. We'd have to. We should ask what's his face, um, Doctor Spidey. Yeah, Doctor Spidey. Like, what's the tiniest dialogue-driven cameo he has that he can think of? This has got to be up there. Um, page ten. Why is Medusa tickling things' nose? <laughs> I don't know. And why is turning the light off such a big deal? Either I don't know. Yeah, it's funny. he's already asleep. You turn the light off. That's changing the lights. It's daylight outside. So right? and the doors, windows open. So whatever. But I do like that. It's kind of weird. I like that they took him out. Pretty and I was kind of, I was kind of hoping they were going to do that one by one with the rest. But then they kind of don't because Reed and Sue attack at the same time. But yeah, Reed comes in and he says, "It sounds like it is the wizard and Pastepod Pete." But how did they get in this comic book? <laughs> Gotta say, Invisible Woman has a lot of cool uh physical feats in this issue though with the whole like uh they can't splatter because of her shield and then they get she gets the sandman stuck in a bubble and mm-hmm. then she later she later saves the ship from crashing the and bad guy sends, ship she sends force field balls uh-huh and she is- she steals paste pot's gun in the end by going invisible like yes she's got a lot, she's got a lot of stuff she does a lot of stuff in this. But those those force field balls become like one of her major offensive weapons. Oh, yeah. Like in the course of her career. Like throwing her force field at people is something she does. And this is, I think, the first major use of that. Of course, Reed took credit for it. So that is a 1964 for you. Uh, remember oh, that, thing? Remember that thing I taught you how to do in practice last week? You're right, dear. They work so yeah. good. You're such a real man. I'm glad I have you to teach me things about my own powers. <laughs> Uh, but they all lose. That was kind of cool. And then Johnny gets to say, oh, no, Alicia, that's a good scene, too. I like that. Where- okay. Right before we get to Alicia, uh-huh. whenever the wizard is manhandling the thing, mm-hmm. he says, we shall start with the thing. He has long been a thorn in my side. And I'm like, the thing was not in Strange Tales when you fought the torch, bud. <laughs> well, technically, never he met was in before. every issue of freaking Strange Tales there, but I don't think they encountered each other. Oh, you're right, because they always had cameos. But it was actually, if anything, I think it was Invisible Girl that was a thorn in his side, right? She's yeah. the one who rescued Johnny the first round. Oh, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong. So, anyway. So, they go uh, to Alicia, and Alicia fires off the flare gun. Yay, um, Alicia. Hero. She does save the day. And I love this Johnny business. I don't know. That was just a fanboy thing where, like, you haven't beat the 
the last guy yet. He just comes in and destroys them all. That was cool. So I like to read Medusa and the wizard as like being full of sass at each other. Oh. Like when she's like on top of page 16, you are as diabolical as you are clever, wizard. Never have I seen such true villainy. And wizard's like, thanks, my dear Madame Medusa. I'm touched by your sincere words of praise. <laughs> <laughs> that's so like, like her earlier in the line. comic when she's like why doesn't he have to wear a costume I'm like why doesn't he have to wear a costume oh she also says do you realize what we've done we've beaten the fantastic four is that literally like her only two lines of dialogue i think it may be yeah i don't it's know very few lines of dialogue. Oy. no yeah. she has a few scattered here and there i mean just as part of the group uh-huh he slammed the door shut he locked us out i like that the biggest brain in all of marvel thinks that he can just wrap his rubber body around them and hope to make it airtight when they go into mm. space. Like, mm. sorry, Reed, you got to come up with something better. This isn't going to work. Yeah. You can see Earth. <laughs> you have a long way to go downward. Yep. Um, She gets glue all over her hair at the end. Susan shoots glue all over Medusa's hair. That's going to be a, a – that, that's so gross. It's going to be hard to get out. Can she cut her hair, or would that just ruin her powers? Does it grow back? I don't know. It does grow back. Okay. Um, they actually, in the Inhumans TV show, that's one of the first things they do is they buzz cut Medusa. Oh, that's not nice. No, it's not. She's pretty traumatized by it. But her hair does grow back. It just got really long. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Just a weird off-panel ending, but otherwise, I like this issue a lot. I do like it a lot, too. And... You know, they're, they're, they're wondering about Medusa. Who is she? Where does she come from? She's the most menacing female I've ever seen. He says, I don't know, dude. I've never seen a power such as the one she possesses mm. with her uncanny hair, which is that's why I'm wondering. Kirby seems to have an idea for Medusa's mysterious origin. Now, maybe he took that in another direction once he kind of fleshed out the idea. But I have a feeling that he was planning when he brought her in to do something unusual with her. Well, who are some other menacing females we've seen? Let me think. Like... Enchantress Python? Can, Enchantress can turn people into trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else do we got? Like Black Widow and stuff doesn't have any powers or anything yet. She's not like that kind of villain. We're going to talk about a new villain in, the next, in our next uh, issue coverage, Princess Python. Yeah, speaking of someone with no powers, let's go to there. That works. I can't think of any other women off the top of my head. That's kind of weird, too. How long mm-hmm. have we been doing this? And we have no super villainy for females except Enchantress and now Medusa. Who, by the way, just flicked a light switch on and off, kind of. Like, I didn't really feel the full power of her hair yet. There was Comrade X slash Madam X. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. There you go. Come on. Yeah, that's it. Wow. I guess we haven't had a lot of supervillain males either so far. Well, we've had an an antagonist every issue, but there have been no women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like like someone with a superpower, superhero name, or supervillain name. That's not happening. So no. far, no. Okay, well, we are going to move right along to our third and final comic for this episode, which is Amazing Spider-Man 22. This mm-hmm. is going to wrap up December 10th, 1964, which is going to wrap up 1964. And it is Spider-Man versus the Clown and his Masters of Menace, written by Stan Lee, illustrated by Steve Ditko. Lettered by Artie Simic. We let Artie do this occasionally. It's cheaper than giving him a raise. <laughs> All right. So we open up with the Circus of Crime hanging out in the Ringmaster's place. Spidey shows up. He's like, hey, got my eyes on you. If you do bad stuff again, I'm totally going to get you. 
here, let me mess with your hat. Your hat's stupid, Ringmaster. And he sneaks a Spidey Tracer on it. He's like, fine, be innocent until proven guilty. I'm leaving. So the circus is all like, okay, now what do we do? And Ringmaster's like, all right, we're going to pull this next big. And they're like, no, Ringmaster, you're washed up. You're old news. You're dumb. We need to have a new leader of this group. In fact, you can't even be part of the group anymore. You're out. We kicked you out. Bye, Ringmaster. Bye. Bye, Ringmaster. Um, and then they're like, okay, now who's going to lead us? <gasps> the clown can be our new leader. And the clown's like, ooh, I don't have a name, but I'm going to lead you. So a few days later at Midtown High School, Peter is looking at his um, biochemical uh, text written by Dr. Henry Pym. The bell rings, but he doesn't even get up because he's so absorbed in it. Uh, Betty Brant runs into him on the way home. They walk with each other and they kind of talk about how um, Ned was been around and now he's gone. And what are they going to do? And she's like, well, um, you probably think I've been dumb, but, you know. I still want to date you if you're cool with that. Peter's like, sure, let's go out tonight. She's like, oh, I can't. I got to go to an art exhibit, but you should come with me. So they're like, they're like friends again. What's up with that? So they go to the art exhibit and Steve Ditko's there wishing he could draw feet like that. Um, John, <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson is talking about how cool he is for, you know, donating to art charities and everything else. Well, the Circus of Crime decides to rob this art exhibit. And um, they knock out J. Jonah Jameson along the way. So Betty takes Jonah to the hospital. Spider-Man gets out his tracker and tracks the ringmaster to the police department where he is um, establishing his alibi for not having been involved in the gallery robbery. He's like, huh, okay, I guess ringmaster's innocent. He follows ringmaster home, uses the ringmaster's own hat to hypnotize him. Goes over, makes a phone call, checks in with Betty at the hospital. Jonah's still unconscious. So Spider-Man goes after the circus of crime. He finds them at a hideout and they fight and they fight and they bicker and they fight and they fight and they fight. And Princess Python's like, hey, I'm a woman. I'm going to attack you. And he's like, hey, you're a woman. I can't fight you back because I misunderstand the purpose of gallantry. And um, <laughs> Ringmaster wakes up because the hat falls. Um, J. Jonah Jameson doesn't wait up, wake up, and Betty's wondering where Peter is, why he hasn't come to visit at the hospital. The bad guys are fighting Spider-Man, but Princess Python's like, hey, Spider-Man, I'm hot, and you like that I'm hot, and we could totally take over things together. And remember, I'm hot. And Spider-Man's like, um, yeah, no? And she's like, you fool! So the clown hears Princess Python trying to pull a fast one. He runs off. Ringmaster thinks that he can, um help out so he heads over there uh police officer sees ringmaster running off so he follows him princess python traps spider-man in a room with an actual python spider-man gets the python to tie himself in a knot even though pythons don't actually do that clown makes off with the paintings ringmaster steals the paintings from the clown ringmaster runs into the police the police arrest the ringmaster for having the paintings princess python runs out gets arrested everybody gets arrested and Peter shows up at the hospital just as Jay Jonah Jameson is waking up. And Jonah's like, Parker, where were you when I was practically at death's door? And Betty's like, yeah, Peter, where have you been? And Peter's like, I've got these pictures for you. And that definitely brings Jay Jonah Jameson back to life. And um, they go back to uh, plan a new art exhibit to put the uh, pictures in the paper. Peter man, Peter man, Peter uh, sneaks <laughs> home. And Aunt May's like, it's so late. And you never called. And we don't have cell phone technology in 1964, but you still could have called. And Peter's like, oh, Aunt May, I, um, I, um, 
I can't actually tell you where I was. And Aunt May's like, <gasps> I won't deny that you hurt my feelings. You've never kept anything from me before. And Peter's like, I can't tell her that I'm Spider-Man. The end. She'll have a heart attack. She'll die of death. Yeah, I don't know about this one. It's all right. <laughs> you don't know about this one? Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's a lot more fun. Silly, yeah. It is silly. I think it's more fun than the first one. The first one had really good Daredevil stuff in it. I like the Circus of Crime stuff more in this one. These guys are just kind of fun in a way because they remind me of the 80s. Because I guess they made some rounds in the 80s for me. And mm-hmm. we're also also in those those uh, Marvel handbooks. So those are the kind of things you read. Like, who the heck is Cannonball? You know? And then you read about him and, oh, he fought Spider-Man one time. So let me ask you a question. In your mind, what is this group called? Uh, Circus of Crime or something, right? Yeah. They want to be called the Masters of Menace. And I'm like, no, you're the Circus of Crime. Get over it. Yeah, pretty sure you're the Circus of Crime. Now, Princess Python, to me, I remember her from my cap readings because he was all fighting the Serpent Society and she tried to be a member of them. Oh. But she has no powers, as we find out in this book. Um, She just has a snake. And she was assigned along with others to go try and kill MODOK. And so basically freaked out and ran away. And so they tortured her. That's all I really remember about Princess Python is they tortured oh. her because she she didn't chip in to try and kill MODOK, even though she has no ability to kill MODOK. Somebody wrote us an email back in my Amazing Spider-Man Classics days about how she like gets involved with the Punisher or something like in oh, the wow. 2000s. Yeah. Okay. Princess Python evidently has a, a long and fabled story. Yeah. But the Circus of Crime, in my mind, is a Spider-Man group. But these are the only two Spider-Man stories they have. Well, Mastermind started in Hulk. I mean, Ringmaster. Ringmaster, yeah. I'm sorry. And theoretically, that was the same circus back then. It's just they had- Yeah, but there was nobody else. They sort of fleshed out the characters as they've gone along. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the first appearance of Princess Python and- Cannonball. I assume there might have been a clown before, but this is the first time they've drawn attention to the clown. The crafty clown. and the Gambano twins have shown up before. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah. It was very memorable. Um, but in theory, all of these people have been with the circus the whole time. We just didn't really know or care. Is Cannonball just a guy who wears like a bullet-shaped steel helmet and that's his whole power? Because mm-hmm. that's really sad. Yeah. I'm going to bonk you with my head. Okay. At some point, he's going to give himself a neck injury. Of course. Yeah. Not great. Why not use a gun or something? Anyway. Yeah. Oh, he Why probably gets shot he- out of a cannon. That's his thing. Got it. That, well, yeah, he should get shot out of a cannon, and he has the bullet on his head for, like, I, I don't know, dramatic effect. Conehead cosplay. Why do they keep giving these guys back their weapons? They I gave don't the know. ringmaster his hat. This is like arresting a mass shooter and then handing him his rifle back when he's released from prison. I can't remember what issue it was, but someone was like, well, I guess there's no uh, nothing illegal about this lethal staff that you tried to kill people with, so we'll just give it back to you. Because it's right. not against the law. You can it's wear like, an well, armorized, weaponized costume. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of against the law. It's got to be, somehow. So what do we think of Spidey? Um, I like they get out legit, and he goes in and bothers them anyway, which is something Human Torch has done, and others, I think, have done. But it's like, yeah, you're never going to actually change, so I'm going to give you a hard time. Well, I think he's he's grown a little bit, because there was the time in, like, I think it was the Doctor's octopus story no it was a sandman story where he saw some people casing a joint and decided to attack them mm-hmm. before that actually committed a crime and the police almost arrested him for it that's right um so here he goes and just like gives them a heads up hey 
got my eye on you, which is exactly the same thing that policemen would do in the stories I have seen of policemen. That's true. And he does the tracker thing, which is pretty smart. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Peter is thinking about college in this. Oh, yeah, which is funny because it coincides with the uh, Fantastic Four issue where he went to college. We saw him scouting State U. Yeah, that's cool. Um, And he drops the name Henry Pym, but Uh this is issue 22 and graduation. I guess this is probably about the time they decided to actually advance Peter's life. Right. Because it was kind of, they were just going to leave him in high school. That was just what they were going to do. But everyone's like, time is passing. He needs to graduate. It's like, oh. I guess he needs to graduate then. And then decide to like move his life forward. That's kind of the interesting thing about comics is like a lot of characters, of course, don't age because you can't have real time aging with Batman or Captain mm-hmm. America or something. But at the same time, it seems like the kids, everybody wants them to age. We want to see right. where they go. So we want Robin to grow up or, you know, Peter Parker to grow up. So they can only grow up until they're about mid 30s and then they freeze like everybody else. Yeah, or even mid 20s. So then you have, you know, Reed Richards at 33 having his first kid, and then that kid grows up to be 33, and then he has a kid who's <laughs> going to be 33, and everybody's just 33. And they're all just generically adults together. Like, Dick Grayson is a younger adult than Bruce Wayne, but they are both adults. Yeah, somehow, even though, yeah, yeah it makes, anyway, weird. Um, I made a joke about it during the recap. The clown does not have a name, so I guess his first name is The. Well, it says on the front his name is The Crafty Clown. I don't know if that's legit. Or, oh. but it's not a great name. So his middle name is Crafty. I guess. Crafty. Does he do crafts? I don't know. Or just, <laughs> he's very sneaky. <laughs> the clown is like, okay, guys, first thing we're going to do, we got this cross stitching to put together for the ringmaster's mom. <laughs> to say, see ya. Oh. Yeah, that's what he does. Yeah, yeah, Cannonball's whole power is the other two lift him up and hit him into a door. That's pretty funny. So let's talk about Betty and Peter. Okay, because they're back again. Yeah. And Betty apologizes and says, I guess you must think I'm a useless female or something like that. And like, I hate to say it because I am trying to find every subtext possible that will elevate these female characters. Mm -hmm. But yeah, sometimes Betty has been pretty terrible in this book. I'm... Really over Betty, and I'd be cool if Peter started dating somebody else. But okay, she's just complete crazy. And I, I know, I mean, she's not real, but I'm going to say it's not her fault because that's just how they're writing her. And I'm sure at some point she'll have more interesting stories. But right now, her whole entire thing is just to be weird and crazy and stalkery and upset all the time. Well, let's see. They got together in seven. That was the Vulture return. Mm-hmm. And it was started so, out cool. It's been fifteen ish issues. Mm-hmm. We are like we're like two thirds of the way through the Betty run. Okay, well, well I mean, over she stays. She stays a character in his life forever. Well, yeah, yeah. But as far as their relationship and that being like part of the drama, it's yeah. We're definitely past the. the she'll she'll point. find somebody else to be dramatic with, right? Someone much worse. But it does feel nice to see these two decide to let bygones be bygones. They try to move forward. Uh-huh. Um, it lasts three whole pages. For what? It lasts three whole pages. No, in I don't know. last three whole pages. I don't know how many. She gets upset with him at some point, but I guess it's not that bad. Well, she's just wondering why he didn't come visit Jonah, which is right. kind of a fair question. Yeah. Yeah, true. Well, all her all her upsetness is fair if you look at it from her point of view. She doesn't, she doesn't know all the stuff we know, 
But I don't think all of her upsetness is fair. This issue seems fair. I don't think she's been fair in every instance before. Like, I Maybe. think there have been times where she has been unreasonable. I guess, but I also feel like that's because she's on her last nerve. And once you've pushed and pulled and twisted somebody around that much, like, you can't expect them to just be rational anymore. You know, that's true. And I think I've come at it from that point of view before, too. It's like she – there, there's there's relationship between them that, we you know, passes between issues. And she's been betrayed by Peter, and she has a hard time dealing with that. Yeah, she starts overthinking everything, but – I made a joke about a Steve Ditko cameo in this issue. So um, letter writers complained to both Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby about their inability to draw believable feet. Mm. So any of you out there in listener land who like to knock other artists for their foot drawing habits or abilities, all you're doing is putting those artists in good company. But... In this art exhibit, Steve Ditko draws a very detailed stocking foot. Yeah. And has a hidden person behind a pillar wishing, man, I wish I could draw feet like that. That was pretty funny. That's a Steve Ditko cameo. I didn't know that he got uh, the foot critique, too. I definitely knew Jack did. Mm-hmm. Um, and whoever drew Tarzan was always getting made fun of because he just put him in tall grass so he didn't have to draw his feet. Oh. But I can't remember who created Tarzan all of a sudden. Uh, yeah. Anyway, feet are hard, man. They are. And so are hands. Um, side note: This is not this painting's last appearance. It comes back in what oh. Spider Man seventy one. We should make a shirt of would the foot. Be, would that be illegal? Probably. <laughs> but they wouldn't catch us because nobody would know. It's so obscure. I wish I could draw feet like that. <laughs> oh, we could just screenshot it and put it on a t shirt, sell it for tons of money, and then they'll be like, "Hey, you stole that." Page nine. Stan gives a Tuesday Weld reference. Um, mm-hmm. I just saw her. In an episode of The Fugitive, from around this time, she played one of two daughters on a ranch. She's blind, but she's also extremely manipulative. Who? So, Tuesday Weld. I don't know what that is. Um, she's a, a, a young actress from this era. Oh. It says on page nine, um, number six, one thing's for sure, I'm not Tuesday Weld. Keep your eyes on your hat, son. Oh, I must have missed that. Yeah. Well, Stanley likes to drop his the the names of his crushes. Um, so she's so, blind, and that's why that works for that scene. Well, she, in, in, in the episode of the Fugitive, she played a blind character. This okay. is just, uh, I think it's just an attractive actress. And the guy's like, "Who's there?" And he's like, "Well, it's not Tuesday Weld. Sorry." Well, it could be because you need vi- sight to hypnotize too. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I like the idea that you can just hold his hat up with a web and somehow use it. Like it doesn't take any more than that. That's kind of weird. So just the presence of the hat is enough to hypnotize? I guess. Like I kind of feel like like they're shortchanging this dude and his ability to use the hat. You know, anybody can do this. It's just the hat. It's not you. It is a little weird. It is a bit weird, but that's all right. Nitpick. Um, so how do you feel about the whole P- uh, Spider-Man Princess Python dynamic? <laughs> oh, you summed it up good. I can't even remember what you said, but it's pretty much like, come on, Spider-Man, get over it. You know, yeah. like it reminded me of a, you probably read this because you like Superman, Man of Steel, uh, the original six issues from post-crisis. Uh-huh. Uh, and like, there's a scene where like, I think there, there's a bank robbery or something and he just comes in and. The lady's like, you wouldn't hit a lady, would you? And he's like, no, I wouldn't hit a lady. And then he flicks her in the face and knocks her out. He's like, but I've never met a lady who holds, you know, has a stick of dynamite in her jacket. Right. So it's like, why not just do that? You know, I think it's okay. We would all be fine with it. 
It was a little funny. But then again, that is kind of her power is she's all cat in him, I guess. Um, <clears throat> or she has a big snake. I don't know what her power is. I don't know where she comes from. I don't know why they're listening to her. That's kind of the weirdest part of this issue, really. Yeah, she is a new character, and yet she seems to have a lot of clout in the gang, which, you know, hooray for Stan and Steve giving the female member of the group a bit more prominence than she usually gets. Um, I think that Lily would probably applaud her using her sexuality as a weapon. Sure. Um, it tends to be a thing that she, cause you know, women's sexuality tends to be a way of objectifying them and, and misusing them. And so mm-hmm. reclaiming that and using it back mm-hmm. is a power move. Yeah. I mean, we all love Catwoman. That's how that works. <laughs> but even yeah. the original early, you know, non-martial arts Catwoman, that's kind of how she did her thing was just to get away by batting her eyes in the right way. And then all the boys were stupid. But and that's right. what Spider Man's doing. It very um, much is what Spider Man's doing. So I'm more like annoyed with Spider Man and less with Princess Python. But right. she also has a huge giant snake. I guess that I I don't know. I I just said like I don't know where she comes from. But I guess she's just part of the circus as a snake tamer, right? That's like and decided yeah, and, to get in on the supervillain act part. And I don't know if if like the whole page of snake attack is like filler or if Ditko really wanted an excuse to draw a snake. Mm-hmm. So he, there's a whole page of snake fighting. Yeah. It's a weird – it's – I don't know. Yeah. I guess it's like this isn't a bad issue. It's just like the stakes weren't very high. It just seemed all kind of like fun shenanigans or something. It was. Yeah, definitely fun shenanigans, um, which is good because next issue is a bit a bit higher stakes if I recall uh, correctly. There you go. Somebody important comes back. Death of Gwen Stacy. Oh. Yeah, that's Death of Gwen early. Stacy. That's next right. issue. Right. Who's Gwen Stacy? <laughs> oh, that's right. I don't know. Um, okay, so the Circus of Crime is going to go away for a while. Um, the next Aww. big story I'm familiar them with them is the wedding issue of the Avengers. But they are in a Thor story before that and a minor role in an Avengers story that we might actually have a chance of getting to. But um, but yeah, they're basically off the, huh. off the table now. Well, considering Ditko is doing Hulk, too, he should have just had him move over there for a little bit. That would have been fun. He should have. Ditko, what are you doing? Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. Who's, who's he going to fight now? That's it, though. Oof. We have a year. How long did it take us to do it? Six years to do one year? I don't know. <laughs> you don't keep track of these things. No, not really. Um, this is uh, – this is so issue 10 was the end of 1963. Issue 10 of Spider-Man? Yeah. Yeah, because that would be 12 issues ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where was issue 10? Well, I'm I just going look. back through our account. Um, 1963. I'll episode look at- 43. <sighs> and we're on 79 now? Yes, that's 36. That works out. Three episodes per month. That's what we've been running. So less than a year. Less than a year. To do a year. Cool. Three-fourths of a year. For now. Right. Enjoy it while we can. But we have to do our end of the month- and then I think that's all we do, or do we do some end of the year thing I've forgotten about? I do have an end of the year thing. Okay, well, let's do end of the month first. Um, all right. Who wanna, wants to run down? Should I run down, or do you want to run ahead. down the... Go ahead. Okay, well, we have um, everything we covered in the last three episodes, December 1964. We have Daredevil 6, which was when the eel and the ox teamed up with Mr. Fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Thor, Journey into Mystery 113, where Thor reveals his identity to Jane, but not really. And the Grey Gargoyle comes back. We have Tales to Astonish 65, where Giant Man gets his new costume 
and a pretty cool new art style. And the Hulk um, on the rampage against the Reds. He is in Soviet country. We have this issue of Amazing Spider-Man. We have the Avengers 13, the castle of Count Nefaria. Mm-hmm. Did we do that one? Yeah. That was last okay. episode. That was last episode. I meant to talk about how we're going to pronounce that. I guess I didn't even think about asking that. Nefarious. How did we pronounce it? Nefarious. Nefaria. Okay. That's what that I makes think. sense. I don't know. Um, Sergeant Fury, number 15, too small to fight, too young to die. That was where um, they went in to go rescue Hans and um, his dad turned out to be their contact, their secret, super secret contact. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Strange Tales. Yeah, baby. Strange Tales 130, which we just talked about. And Tales of Suspense 63, revealing the origin of Captain America and somewhere lurks the Phantom, the guy who was tired of being shunned by Tony Stark, so he decided to go sabotage Tony Stark. Uh, you know, which it's is a storyline that will definitely never be done again. None of these are popping out to me as like bad, so this right? might be tough to pick a bad one. I'm not saying they're all great either, but like none of them are offending me. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you my favorite though. I'm just going to say Giant Man. I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to end the year with a Giant Man because he doesn't get that very often from me. Wow. And I, I just enjoyed it. It was just fun and like back to the old days kind of and kind of felt like a 50s superhero science fiction romp. You know, experiment uh-huh. gone wrong and dealing with giant and tiny things. And I don't know. I just thought it was cool. It wasn't like ground, you know, groundbreaking or not. It's not going to end up in like the Marvel's milestone history books or anything, but I thought it was fun. Okay. So that's my favorite. I don't know about my least favorite. So now you have to think for a second. Um, um, okay. Here's the thing. I was really excited about the Caps America origin. Uh huh. At the same time, it's just a retelling of the Golden Age origin. All right. Exactly. The debut of the Frightful Four, very excited for that issue. Famous cameos of Spider-Man. Um, but the, like after the first half of the book, it's, it just kind of like, you know, kind of goes on and does its thing. There are some cool aspects to it, but I don't know that it wins me. Same with Spider-Man. Spider-Man has some cool aspects to it. I don't know if it wins me, but you know what got me excited? Hmm. Doctor Strange. Yeah. Also good. Doctor Strange got me excited in this issue um, in a way that maybe the other ones didn't. So I am giving my favorite this month to Doctor Strange. Awesome. So now we're both picking characters that aren't getting favorites that often. Mm-hmm. All right. My least is down to either Hulk because, as I've said already, I kind of don't like how like these stories keep ending halfway through chapter two and then starting with chapter three. Sort of right. and disjointed. Or maybe Avengers 13 because Count Nefaria was sort of ho-hum and I really hated how the time didn't work. Like, Yes. Like the whole world is on alert for the Avengers who were unconscious for three seconds or something. Right. It seemed like it was months and months. And meanwhile, Rick and his crew are down there just killing They're still time. out in the front <laughs> lawn waiting for the Avengers to come out. I pick Avengers. That is just too weird. I don't like that. I think that's the second time I picked Avengers in a row too, which is kind of not good. But – yeah, they haven't. It hasn't been doing it for me. I'm waiting for the roster change. I think because it's just like ugh, I'm it does tired feel a little bit guys. like killing time. Yeah. Um, I see what you say about the Hulk. I'm still enjoying the stories, although this is not my favorite part of this run. Yeah, when he's just dealing with the Soviet people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like it whenever it's a continued story involving the leader. You know, you got me. But um, mm-hmm. huh. they're all okay. They're all pretty good. 
I think the one that disappointed me the most was the lack of reveal in Journey into Mystery 113. They do kind of do the whole, like, you can't believe what's going to happen, but then it doesn't really happen thing. Right. Yeah, that's true. So um, I'm going to choose Thor as my least favorite. Thor, Thor. It still had some decent moments in it. And like mm-hmm. you said, none of these stories were bad. But I think no. for Disappointment Factor, that was that was the one that I picked. Wow. Um, okay. So you're ready for our end of the year? Yeah. All right. Your most common choice oh. for least enjoyed. <laughs> okay. Is it Giant Man? It's actually a tie uh-huh. between Ant Man, Ant Man, Giant Man, and the FF. Wow, really? The FF? Yeah, that surprises me. Huh. Um, I put Thor down the most oh, often, like today. which is really only four times out of the entire year. So it's not like it's like mm-hmm. really the worst. But you'd put three FFs and three Ant Man, Giant Mans. Well, I think this year was not the greatest for the FF. I think it's going to start kicking up or ramping mm-hmm. up pretty hard next year. So we'll see how it goes then. But there was a lot of weird FF stories this year. There were. There were. Um, hold on one second. I'm checking one thing here. Okay. Then for our all-time, so far, least enjoyed – well, actually – between the two of us, between you and me together, all of our numbers together, our for nineteen sixty four, our least enjoyed storyline is the Giant Man strip. Okay, that's not super shocking. But for both of us together, for all time, our least enjoyed strip is Thor, oh. which is really surprising. I would not have put Thor as the bottom. Yeah. Um, for our favorites, it's Spider Man, Spider Man, Spider Man, Spider Man, Spider Man. Really? Well, yeah. that's not shocking. It's annoying, but it's not shocking. You chose Spider-Man four times this year, which was more than any other single choice. I chose Spider-Man six times <laughs> that's this it? year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, half the time. Should have been like 11 times, probably. So our our most popular pick for the entire year and our most popular pick for all time is Spider-Man. And our most popular title based on our Twitter poll that we did however many months ago, is Spider-Man. So oh, everybody yeah. loves the Spider-Man, which I don't blame them for because that's the book that is becoming the Marvel way much faster than all these other books. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that is our end of 1964. And man, you think about how far we've come. The beginning of this year was like Giant Man finding the human top. It was Spider-Man versus the big man and the enforcers. It was, um, let's see, I'm just looking... Jack Kirby had just come back to Thor and he was going into the future with the Tomorrow Man. Uh-huh. Um, the Fantastic wow. Four and the Enfant Terrible. Um, Strange wow. Tales. Actually, that was the issue with the with the wizard. And Doctor Strange was barely an ongoing series at this point. The uh the Iron Man fought the Scarecrow. There was no um I don't think we even have Pepper Potts and Happy Hogan yet. All that really, like, in addition to that just being kind of a wow as to how much we've covered, because sometimes it feels like we go nowhere, and then sometimes people, like the other day, someone made a video of all the issues we've covered, and I'm just like, really? Mm-hmm. We did all that? That's amazing. Um, but it's also kind of amazing that they had to produce this stuff every month, you know? 
Right. <laughs> like this is going this must be going by fast for them back in the day when they were doing all this. It's just crazy. To think I was about. wrong. We did have Pepper and Happy by then, but but yeah. Oh. Um so much has changed in one year, and that's just them cranking these out month after month. Right? Mm-hmm. Avengers and X-Men were still bi-monthly. X-Men is still bi-monthly for us, but Avengers, they were in issue three. The Hulk was still not gone. Captain America was not here yet. Mm -hmm. Captain America debuted at the beginning of 1964. Good beginning. Yeah, it's the year of Cap. Mm -hmm. It kind of was in some ways. There was a lot of Cap. All right. Well, um, I guess that wraps up our episode. Yeah. You want to tell them what their homework is for next time? Okay, your homework is a whole new year, January 1965. Read the entire year. Read the entire year. We start with X-Men, number 10, which looks to be the first appearance of Kazar. And then we've got Tales to Astonish, number 66, with the menace of Madame Macabre. And then it also says the power of Dr. Banner and doesn't give me any more information than that, so I can't tell you. Sorry. And then lastly, we got Journey into Mystery, number 114, which looks to be the first appearance of... The Absorbing Man. Ooh, so that's The fun. Absorbing Man. Yeah, that's fun. All right. I'm going to our followers, and we have Comic Book Joe following us. We have Carly Finds Treasures at Carly63 following us. We have Jeremy. Uh, we have Marvelous Movies at Movies Marvelous, your superlative source for superhero satire. We have Shaka Comic, Shaka underscore comic. Shaka the bastard son who grew to become Southern Africa's greatest warrior king. Mm. The screenplay by Warren Duncan reimagined as a limited series comic book. So if that sounds interesting to you, you should go definitely go check them out. We have CS Cool. We have Mercury Comics at Comics underscore Mercury. They're an indie comic publisher. We have Star Trek Fan Page at Star Trek Fan Page following us. Woohoo. Weapon Extra at Elaine underscore Diana, writer and producer of Comic Panels of Interests Facebook page and Weapon Extra podcast. The Weapon Extra podcast. Hmm. I had to look that up. Uh, Mr. Woodman at Mr. Woodman Speaks because the voices in my head needed an outlet for their rage. Ooh. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. So thank you all for following us on uh, Twitter. We always appreciate the retweets of our episodes whenever they go up. Helps uh, get the word out there to your friends. iTunes reviews, all that stuff is all are always welcome. Um, where can uh, where can they find if they want to like you know send us emails or all those other cool things people do to us? Well, if you want to send us emails, you could send it to podcast at makearsmarvel.com. We do mail episodes every once in a while, so get those in. We'll probably do another one here real soon. Uh, and by soon, I mean the next six to eight, 12 months. Um, you can also just find a form if you'd rather do that at makearsmarvel.com. That's going to have all the links to all the shows and all the links to all the feeds that you would need to plug into your favorite podcast uh, uh, listening device or app like iTunes or Spotify or Google Play. All right. And over on Facebook, Chris Shirley has followed us and Joseph Lee Cruz has liked us on our Facebook page. So thank you for that. Um, we uh, appreciate sharing posts over there as well. Um, I can be found on Twitter at John Reads Comics. My image podcast can be found there as well at All the Pouches. My Transformers podcast can be found there at TFUK Podcast. Um, my with Wanda the Scarlet Witch tweet blog at Let's Talk Wanda and yeah that's where I can be found mm-hmm. alright 
I guess that's our episode. That's our episode. Next episode, number 80. Special episode, because it's number 80. And we'll cover three comics and do the exact same thing. So until we get a new Frightful Four, all recruited by Dracula, make ours marvel. We were not supposed to leave. Four million years ago, two armies were stranded on a world not their own. Waking in the modern day, their ages-old alien conflict revives on the planet Earth. Scouring this new world for resources and safeguarding the native life from their war, their one goal remains. We have to go back. The stories of these Autobots, Decepticons, and humans were published in the United Kingdom in a weekly comic book and broadcast as an animated series. And now there will be a podcast exploring these chronicles in their entirety. We have to go back to Cybertron. Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast, coming October 31st.